is Karen Modakaitis, host of How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet. I believe there are many valuable lessons to be learned from other people's journeys. My lifelong quest has been to use inspirational success stories to motivate and empower others to achieve their personal best. How She Really Does It dives into the depths to truly understand what motivates people in order to help others realize their own personal potential and goals. This talk show is meant to inspire, empower, entertain, and be a resource for women. How She Really Does It provides an opportunity for women to learn from our guests so they can empower their own lives. We love to hear our listeners' comments about our shows or questions for upcoming guests. Email us by going to our website, www.howshereallydoesit.com. Our past shows are available on our website or as podcasts from iTunes. How do you feel about your income? Are you happy with your earnings? Do you believe that you can make more money? What is stopping you? Today, we have Barbara Stanny back to discuss another one of her books and a course that she teaches, Overcoming Under Earning. Barbara, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me, Corinne. Thank you so much. It's great. So let's talk first um, briefly about your background. How did you get to where you are now? I, uh, you know, if anybody had ever told me that I would be empowering women financially 10 years ago, 12, 15 years ago, I would have told them they were nuts because I grew up in a wealthy family and the only advice my father ever gave me about money was, don't worry, don't worry. And so I didn't. I didn't understand money. I didn't care. I just wanted to spend it. But it turned out that my husband, a financial advisor, was always a, was also a compulsive gambler. And over the course of our marriage, he lost a fortune of my money. And even after we were divorced, I got over a million dollars in tax bills for back taxes he didn't pay for illegal deals he got us in. And he had left the country. I didn't have the million dollars, and my father wouldn't lend it to me. And that's when I knew I had to get smart. And I was working as a journalist in San Francisco, and I got hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And I want to tell you, those interviews changed my life. They changed my life because first, I talked to 100 women who went from being not smart to smart about money. It's like I saw how they did it. And it was like, whoa, no one ever told me this. So I not only, and, and what I saw most of all, Corin, it wasn't what they did, it was how they thought. And when I shifted my thinking, everything changed. And then I started doing financial education for women. I wrote my first book, How uh, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And I had a great new career, but I realized I couldn't earn money. I just couldn't earn money, no matter how hard I worked. So I went out and I interviewed women who made six figures or more. And not only did I write a book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, but I started making six figures before I even finished writing the book. And then I started teaching in the year 2000. I started teaching workshops called Overcoming Under Earning. And a couple of years ago, I went back and I interviewed hundreds of women who had been through this workshop. And I came out with my most recent book, Overcoming Under Earning, A Five-Step Plan to a Richer Life. Wow. That's my story. <laughs> well, and so, you know, I mean, people, if they hear the first part, because you're the daughter of... Um, um, the R of H&R Block. Yes, the R. I was trying to figure out how to say that. The R of H&R Block. So you grew up with, which is kind of the American dream, all that's surrounded by all this wealth. Yes. But then it turned out to be a nightmare situation because you were raised where women aren't supposed to worry about that. The husband's supposed to take care of themselves or take care of the, the finances. Right. And And... In part, it was a generational thing. I mean, my father really didn't get it. Mm -hmm. He really believed women shouldn't have to worry about managing or making money because that was the man's job. And even though that was his generation, what we're seeing now is young women still. There is the Prince Charming syndrome is alive and well mm -hmm. because they may not have been raised that way, but there still is something in our collective unconscious that is waiting for someone or something to rescue us. Yes, it's still there. And it, it's so there. Well, that, that's why the work that you do, I think, is so important because not only do you have your own story where you showed that, you know, you were given, then it was gone, and then you had to rebuild and you've been able to do it. Yeah. And you did it yourself, and how empowering is that? So with your own story, you can provide... Um, you know, 
a path for people to learn from. But then you're also teaching people right. how to do it. Do you know how often I have thanked my father and my ex-husband, the gambler, for what they did? Because really, it's just it's given me a great story. But even though I grew up wealthy, there's a universal universality behind my story. Everybody can relate to it because first, the great lesson is no matter how much money you have, unless you take care of it, it doesn't mean you'll keep it. And second, it's a story of hope because I was very, I was, I hit bottom. And I'm telling you, I, my, I felt so stupid about money. My eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up. Anytime I look at anything financial, and, and the fact that I am now doing financial education for women, the fact that I am an expert on women and money, just shows it just it's proof positive that everyone there, everyone today who's struggling with money, struggling to understand it, it's really not as hard as you think. It doesn't take a lot of time to get smart. It doesn't take a lot of money to create wealth. And it's never, ever too late to start. How old were you when um, you had the you had the tax bill for a million dollars? I was in my forties. That's important for the listeners. What? That's important for the listeners. To yeah, know. no, I wasn't. It wasn't until my forties that I hit bottom, and it wasn't until my fifties that I started making six figures. So, I have talked to so many. I just had. I was at a. A talk. I gave a talk a couple years ago, and this woman comes up to me. She's, she has a cane. She's 84 years old, and she tells me when she was 71, her husband died. Now her husband was a very, very well-to-do physician, and he always managed the money. Well, when he died, he not only didn't leave her with anything, but he left her saddled with debts, and she had no idea. And she said. You know, I'm sure she cried a lot about it, but then she said, I went out, I started educating myself, I found a financial advisor, and now, 14 years later, she says, 13 years later, she said, I'm a very rich woman. And she'd just come back from a cruise around the world. So it, I use that story because it's never too late. Well, and I think that's the, that's the important thing, is it's about making sure that people realize that there's hope. There, there's hope, and one of the things, people don't know where to start. That's one of the problems. And what I'm seeing happening today all over the country is women are coming together in groups. They are forming book clubs. They're forming study groups. They're pairing up to learn about money. And I'm really, really excited about that because I think we women don't talk about money. And I think it's our secrecy and silence that keeps us stuck. I agree with you on that because we talk about so many other things and we're great resources for each other. Right. Now we'll talk about money. We'll moan about it and groan about it. But we will. We'll complain about it. But when's the last time you sat down with your girlfriend and you sit over a glass of wine or a cup of tea and said, hey, what are you doing for your mutual funds now? Are you buying anything? What's the latest you bought? Or even, how did you get smart? How did you figure this whole thing out? Well, and I mean, you think about what's happening right now with the economy and everything coming crashing down. And I remember a few, like three to five years ago, I'd look around in my community and say, how are people doing this? Because I make good money and I'm not living this lifestyle with, you know, these big houses or, you know, these new cars every few years. And, and I think, you know, what we are finding now is that a lot of people were living a lie. They were living beyond their means, heavily in debt. And I think if people were really more authentic with what they were doing, or at least if there was conversation so you knew, okay, my friend is, you know, has all this stuff, but it's because they feel that they're going to, they're entitled to their home equity and that's how that they want to live. They're entitled to live this way and how they're doing is by their home equity. That would take a lot of the envy out that people were seeing and and not wanting to say, oh, I'm going to follow that path too. I think there's a lot of very valuable lessons to be learned in this uh economic meltdown. And I really think it's a call to action to each of us to really look within our hearts and look within our checkbooks and look at our bank accounts and really tell ourselves the truth 
about what's going on because the key value in this new economy that we will be rebuilding will be integrity, will be living within your means and telling the truth to yourself about your financial situation. And for most people, that is one of the most difficult and painful things to do is to tell the truth. And I know to overcome under-earning, what I have learned from all the women I've interviewed and men for one of my books is telling the truth is where it all begins. When people say, I don't even know where to start. You start by telling the truth. You start by telling the truth about what's not working for you. You start by looking at your problems, your debts. Be specific. How much are you in debt? How much do you owe? How much do you have coming in? I remember I gave a workshop a year ago, two years ago in January. And I remember there's a woman just cowering in the back. And when I was talking about the importance of telling the truth, and she was terrified of looking at her debt. She she was in debt. She didn't know how much. And she knew that's what she had to do. She knew that's what she had to do is go home and really look at her debt and tell the truth without blame or judgment, without even needing a solution, just telling the truth. Well, I want to tell you, I saw her in New York, which is where I gave the workshop, a year later. We, We bumped into each other. And she told me, and she went home. She looked in her debt. It wasn't as bad as she thought. She is now, a year later, out of debt, in a job, making six figures. So the thing about clarity and integrity and telling the truth, things can change so quickly once you stop hiding, once you take the blinders off. And why does that happen? Because clarity is power. And what I've learned in all the years I've been doing this, and I know this for myself, when I started getting clarity on what I had, what I was spending, where it was going, you know, exactly where my money is, it was from that clarity that ideas came, that coincidences came, that my mind opened up to options that you wouldn't have never seen. There is tremendous power in clarity. And especially, you, if you want to know the first step to take in going to the next level of earnings, ask yourself, what's the thing you least want to do? What's the thing you're most afraid to do? And you know it, and you know it. That is exactly what you need to do. And that's exactly what you need to face. And that's exactly where you need to go. Because I say there is a direct correlation between the amount of fear and resistance you feel and the amount of pleasure and power and prosperity on the other side of that. A direct correlation. Yes. I mean, for me, every time I hit something that I'm scared to do, like, someone just gave me an idea on the phone the other day about marketing. It scared the hell out of me. It was something that just seemed bigger than something I was capable of doing. And I said to her, I'm scared to death, so this must be exactly what I need to do. This must be exactly the step I need to take to really achieve my growth. Because what I found from high earners, from former under-earners, The key is every one of them got to a point where they said, I can't do this. I can't do this. And they did it anyway. And they didn't always succeed, but they kept going. It's what I call the stretch. And the stretch is the pivotal point in every high earner story where they went from under-earning to higher-earning. You want me to give you an example? Yes. I interviewed this woman from Tennessee. She's a six-figure woman. She was telling me her story. And she lived in this little town in Tennessee, and she was a choir director in a church. And she said she got sick and tired of working 14-hour days and have nothing to show for it, struggling to make ends meet. And she finally said, I can't do this anymore. i got to make more money. And when you make a decision, a committed decision, 
you'll be amazed at the coincidences that will occur because a committed decision is like a magnet. It just draws opportunities to you. Of course, you need to take advantage of those. And she said, it was like God just sent these people into my life. And she had made an appointment with a financial planner to figure out how she was going to segue from this career she had been in all her life to to something different. And she had no idea. So she went to this financial planner and she's sitting there and she goes, oh my God, what you're doing is great. I love this work you're doing. This is awesome. And he looked at her and he said, Lois, you know, you could do this too. She looked at him like he was crazy and she said, no way, I've never worked outside of a church. Well, five months later, she was working for him and today she's a partner in the firm. Mm -hmm. And that's what success looks like. Whenever you find yourself saying, oh no, I can't do that. Oh no, no, no. Pay attention. Well, is is the fear then the not not being able to believe in yourself that it can be possible? I think the real what I noticed in my interviews is before anyone can go to that next level, there had to be what I came to call the click. And the click is when you really get it. You really get it that you're worth more, that, that, you, that, that you deserve more simply because you're worth it, when you really get that sense of your value. You know, I ask women who make a lot of money, are you in this for the money? Every time, 90%, 95% will say, no, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing it for the passion. I'm doing it for the recognition. I'm doing it for the challenge. But at the same time, now this was really, really a distinct key distinction for me. At the same time, they said, but I darn well want to be paid well because I know I'm worth it. And how do they get that? That's Well, for me, I'll tell you how I got to that. In my interviews, what we women do is we tend to focus on our shortcomings. We tend to depreciate ourselves. We tend to really glom on to where we trip up. And we ignore, diminish, or deny all our good stuff. So what I started doing is every time I had any little success, I acknowledged myself. Every time I wrote something that was great or said something that was great, I acknowledged myself. And then I acted as if. So when I started raising my prices and bargaining harder, I came from a feeling of, at first, pretending I'm worth it. Because, see, here's the thing. These successful women, and now I'm interviewing women who make millions, because that's my next goal. And what I found in all these successful women is they are very, very confident. And that's what I expected. But as we get deeper into the interview, I saw how every single one of them struggled with self-doubt, struggled with fear, struggled with feeling like a fraud and afraid others would find out. But the difference between them and me is they didn't let it stop them. They went ahead and did it anyway. There is no such thing as fearless in the money game. It's about do, do, it's about going forward even though you're afraid. It's about going forward even though you don't have full confidence. And what I found is, as so many women said to me when I remarked about how confident they were, they said, I wasn't born with this gene. The way they built their confidence is by doing something they're afraid to do. Doing it anyway, even if they didn't succeed, getting back up and eventually succeeding. And that's how I built my sense of value. And it's every time I go up to a new level, it's always being challenged. And the other thing I do, because like many women, I will. I can easily lose touch with my value. I can easily get down on myself. I can easily go into self-depreciation. So what I do is I surround myself, and this is a really key factor for women because we're so relationship-oriented. Mm -hmm. We need to surround ourselves with supportive community, with people who believe in us, with people who are modeling the behavior we want to be. The people we become who we're with. So we become. So we need to be with people who are operating at the level we want to operate at. And we need to be with people who are absolutely believe in us. And we need to minimize, if not eliminate, the naysayers in our life. I have an exercise in my Overcoming Under Earning book that's very, very powerful. And you write down all your 
I I've actually divided the support people into different categories. But you write down all the people in your life that are supporting you. And you write down the naysayers. And the idea is to keep adding and hanging out with those people that support you and start eliminating or spending less and less time with your naysayers. And it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I did that exercise in um, the community, and you have the true believers, your confidants, your way showers, your messengers, and your yeah. naysayers. And, and, um, and that is so important because um, I think, as you said earlier, at we as women, we can become so hard on ourselves that we focus on the negative. And then when you, you know, what you focus on becomes true or it becomes what you believe, and then it really brings down your, your, your value of your worth. But if you can focus, right, exactly right, Corn. Exactly. And if you can surround yourself with people that you know see the good in you, and are supportive and are energetic about what you want to do, I mean, it's that energy. I think that's so. It's so important to be very cautious of what you let the energy that you let yourself be around. You know, I mean, if you're an athlete, because this is how I can always go back, because I was an athlete for so long and a college coach was that, you know, you don't want to go to practice every day where nobody thinks that they can become the next great, you know, the best swimmer that they can be or the, you know, the best athlete they can be. You want to be in a place where your coach believes in you and you believe in the program. And people, for the most part, are going, we're striving to get better. We can get better. Which is, you bring up another important point. How many of these successful women I interview have worked with coaches? And I really, the coaching industry is exploding. And I, I think every successful woman I've talked to has at least at some time worked with a, uh, a life coach, a business coach, an executive coach, some kind of coach. Well, and it's such a new field that I think that um, some people do have skepticism. I mean, I think on the West Coast, it's much more, there's much more awareness of it than in other parts of the country. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I've interviewed women all over the country. Oh, really? I have friends all over the country. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the women that I'm talking to. So I just know that women all over the country who are in high levels of earnings and achieving are very aware of working with coaches. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just the ones I speak to. But it, it became really clear to me one person became really clear to me that as one successful woman said to me, success is a social activity. Mm-hmm. That we cannot do it alone. That we need others. And women so often tend to operate in isolation. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that we reach out for help, for support, for mentoring, for guidance. And and I think that's like a very that's the message that comes out very loudly and clearly in your book, overcoming under earning, um, because as you said, women are like, oh, I can just do it myself. You're, you, I don't know if we're told these messages or they're just kind of we internalize them this way. It's like, well, we need to be tough enough to do it. But you need, uh, you know, if you look at just the Olympics, because I have a big sports background, any of those people that are on the Olympic team did not get there by themselves. They had teammates, they had family, they had coaches. And that's also why I think with the, um, whether it's business coaching, life coaching, executive coaching, it's so important to, to have a support network out there that can help you get to where you need to go instead of this, this thought that, oh, it just happened. She was able to get there. I mean, and you talk about in different ways also getting support. Right. Right. And I think the sports metaphor you use is very appropriate because we're talking about achieving excellence. Mm-hmm. We're talking about going as far as you can go. You know, we're talking about being the best you can be. And that's really what life is about. It's becoming the best you you can be. And I always say, I talk about money, I write about money, but it's never about money. Never. Money problems are never about money. The fights you have about money, never about money. There's always something under that. And I believe that one of the main reasons so many women have trouble with money 
is because they're afraid of their power. I think financial success is a rite of passage to our power. I think financial success, financial savvy, demands that we become responsible adults, the final authority in our life. And I think we women have not been historically raised that way. And as a psychologist I interviewed once said, powerful women have been burdened at the stake. So I think that what I'm coaching women to do, what I'm inspiring women to do, using money as a metaphor, is to step fully into their power. And so what is the step for that? Like something tangible that the listeners can understand. I'll give you five steps. Okay. It's the five steps I have in my overcoming under earning. And these five steps, although I use them in the context of money, I can tell you that they are the steps to your power. And the first step is as we talked about earlier, tell the truth. Tell the truth about what's not working. Tell the truth. That means dig deep into what's not working in your psychologically, you know, your beliefs, your attitudes, your feelings about yourself and money. And tell the truth about what is working for you, about your power, about your skills and talents and abilities. Tell the truth about your desires. It's really telling the truth without blame or judgment, and without needing to figure it out or have a solution in sight. The second step is you need to make a decision, a committed decision, a declared intention that I it's time to make more money, that money is a good thing, that money is a wonderful thing, that, that it's, you know, so many women are ambivalent about or dislike money or the people that have it, that not long ago, there was a study by AARP of 2,300 adults. 43% of the women, 20% of the men were asked, said when they were asked, do you want to be rich, said, no, I don't want to be rich, because I thought money was bad, and the people who had it felt greedy, were greedy and sensitive and felt superior. So if that's the attitude you have, then the decision you made is, I don't want money. So we have to make a decision. I want money. I want to make more money for no other reason than I'm worth it. And when you make that decision, two things will happen. You will create coincidences. You will you know what I'm talking about. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what I'm talking about when you really say, "Okay, this this is it." Then all of a sudden, these people and things come in your life. But the second part is you're not going to want to do it because you're going to go into resistance. And resistance is a sign that you're going in the right direction. It's not a sign you're doing something wrong. So the third step is to stretch. Because success in everything, I don't care if it's losing weight or making money, is always found right outside of a comfort zone. So whenever you hear yourself saying, I don't want to do that, I can't do it, that's the very thing you need to do next. And the fourth step is you need to surround yourself with support, as we've talked about. Surround yourself with a community of people who are cheering you on, who are playing the game you want to play. And fifth, you have to respect and appreciate money. Because just because you have it doesn't mean you'll keep it. And respect and appreciate money means taking care of it. And you take care of money. There's four rules of money. You spend less, save more, invest wisely, and give generously. In that order, we women have been giving generously down path. Giving generously. Without following the first three steps of spending less, saving more, investing wisely, is an act of self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Because not only do you jeopardize your future security, but you diminish the impact you can make with your money. And to me, what I found in my interview is women, once they get past survival, are very rarely motivated by money for its own sake. What motivates most women is what we can do with our money, how we can use our money to help others. And that's what this is all about. I believe we all have a purpose. We all have a destiny. And the best way to sabotage you living out your purpose is by is with financial problems. 
is putting yourself in survival. Because then you can't think about anything but how to make ends meet. But once you spend less, save more, invest wisely, you build a financial foundation for yourself, a strong foundation, then you can start thinking about how you can help people you love, how you can help those causes you believe in. And I really believe, and you can see I'm passionate about this, that when enough women are smart, are financially smart and financially successful, we have the resources, the vision, the values to heal this planet, to change this world. This is Karen Modokaitis of How She Really Does It, and I'm talking with author and financial empowerment ex- expert Barbara Stani. Her book is Overcoming Under-Earning, and she also teaches a course in this. Now, Barbara, when you are talking about um, you know, having your financial life in order, one of the things that kind of came up to me was if, that, if you're taking care of that part and, and you have a good, solid foundation, then you can go ahead and take care of your purpose. You know, but if you if if you're not taking care of of the money and how to how to manage it so that it's not managing your life, but it's you're taking care of it, you're spending less, you're investing it, you you understand your money. You're not just having somebody else take care of it where they could lose it for you or whatever. You... Now, let me just stop you there. Okay. Because I'm a big believer in working with financial professionals. Mm-hmm. Just I'm a big believer, not cutting my own hair or doing. Mm-hmm. My, setting my own broken leg. But financial planners make lousy Prince Charmings. You work with a financial advisor as a partner, someone who can educate you and you make decisions together. It's a partnership. As a partnership. So you're not just turning money over right. and saying, oh, here you go. I mean, we're seeing this crisis right now in New York where Ooh. people turn their money over. And they said, oh, okay, and they didn't ask any questions, and they, they weren't part of it, and now they're realizing that a lot of their money is gone. And it's not just New York. It's all over the world. Yeah, and, and now it's – and we, I just saw a clip about how some um, pensions are being affected too because they were invested. I just think that the universe is sending us a very clear message. It's time to get your head out of the sand, and it's time to understand money. And I'm sending a very clear message that it's not that complicated. That it's quite easy to learn. And I teach a class called Becoming Your Own Prince Charming. It's a teleclass and a live seminar. And I show you that this whole financial field, this whole person, financial planning is so simple. There's just a whole industry out there that wants to confuse us and make it complicated. And so what can women do to, to, to understand it? Because, I mean, you have some good suggestions that you talked about was, you know, the Wall Street Journal and just putting that section on your kitchen table so that when you walk by, you would catch bits and, bit, bits and pieces and under, start understanding terminology. I'll give you the three steps that I always give. The three steps I followed for me, because remember, I didn't understand anything about money. I found it very intimidating, and it was like, oh, my God, I couldn't understand it. And so I started doing these three things. And if anyone listening does this for these three steps for at least three to six months, you will be amazed at the difference. Because so much of getting smart or smarter about money, because it never ends, I still do these three steps, it's just Small steps consistently taken. So if one, every day you read something about money, even if it's just the headlines of the business section of the paper, even if it's only for one minute, even if you just peruse through it, even if you're just standing in the checking line, checkout line at the grocery store, you pick up Money Magazine instead of People and live through it. Because as you said, so much of getting smart or smarter about money is familiarizing ourselves with the current uh, trends, with the jargon, with the terminology. So just every day, you know, you can just turn on the nightly business PBS business report. You just every day expose yourself to something financial. Even if you don't understand it, just look at it. Because by osmosis, it's amazing how much you will pick up. Two, every week, talk about money. Have a conversation about money, preferably with someone that knows more than you. 
And that's what I started was doing in my interviews, interviewing women who were smart with money. Everybody I met who was smart, I said, can I pick your brain? Can we talk? And I wouldn't necessarily ask them how much money they made, but I would ask them how they got smart. I would ask them questions, pick their brain, and ask them what advice they would have for me. So every day read, every week have at least one conversation, and every month automatically save. Automatically have money transferred from your checking account or your payroll check into a savings account. And then it doesn't even make how many different difference how much it is. When I coach women in doing this, I would prefer them to start with a smaller amount and work up because savings is a habit. Mm-hmm. And even if it just means taking your spare change out of your pocket night, putting it in a jar, and then every week taking that jar to the bank. And then when you get six to eight months worth of savings, then you start investing in mutual funds, which you've been reading about and talking about. So those are the three steps. Every day, talk, every day read, every week talk, and every month save. Those are little habits that you're incorporating into your life right. to make the changes. And it's, it's those small steps that will make those, the changes bigger. There's no question about that. Have you ever tried any of those small steps? Oh, yes. Oh, good. Yes. And, and you, you see. That's how I learned about money. I mean, in my, in my 20s, that's how I learned about money. And, By doing what? Uh, um, well, I, in college, I had really good advice about taking a personal finance class, and I was uh, I was already done with all my required courses. I was just kind of sitting around buying time because there was a recession, and I didn't know what to do with my life. So I finally remembered that a few years earlier, I, should, I was told to take a personal finance class. So I took that, um, and I learned, and then I started getting the Wall Street Journal. And two, it was very um, intimidating. But, uh, you know, I would go through, and there were certain columns that I liked, and um, and then the other thing that I did is that I found people in my life, whether they were professors or people that I worked with, whoever it was, who um, had done really well with money. And that's when I started realizing the possibilities. Because I remember when in like 1993, 94, there's a recession and my roommate had graduated from college and she was working like in wildlife and fisheries and she made 18000 a year. And I thought, wow, I can make that much money. I'll be okay. I can still live the way that I live now. And, um, but then once I started getting exposed to these other people, I realized that there are many different ways to become financially independent. And um, so that, that turned into a goal, a, a possibility for me and something that I strove for. I love your story. Well, thank you. I mean, anybody can relate to that. that I love how you did that. It's just slowly... One step at a time, opening yourself, educating yourself, exposing yourself to more. And, and, I, and I read a lot, and I realized I didn't know a lot. And, and I made my mistakes here and there. But, um, but that, that it, it was seeing, finding people, and that's why I do the show, is I want to expose to people that there are so many possibilities. And, um, you know, I was fortunate because I was 21 starting this journey. Um, so that, that, you know... That was really good for me, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's, you know, you have your story, you're in your 40s, and you think your life is going to go one way, and it goes a different way. And um, so, and I think that's so important. And um, one of the things that, the questions that I always get asked from so many women is like, well, how do I do this? You know, or, and then the whole worth thing or overcoming. I mean, when so many people found out I was doing this interview with you today, they were like, you know, I'm going to be tuning in. I need to listen because I, I need to, I need, how can I earn more money? How can I do that? And especially, you know, when you've got the New York Times today coming out with the economy sheds 524,000 non-farm jobs in December. You know, the unemployment rate is 7.2%. And so it's like, well, how, how dare I think that I can get money or more money? You know, it's very interesting. When I interviewed six-figure women, it was in the year 2000 when we were things were booming. After the book came out, a couple of years later, I went back and interviewed them during the height of the recession. And what I saw really struck me is I was having very different conversations with high earners than I would with under earners. Under earners spend a lot of time complaining about the economy. Uh, pulling back, not seeing opportunity. This is a time to stay safe and protect yourself. 
these high earners were talking completely different. Even those that had fallen on hard times, lost their job, their businesses went under, and certainly there were quite a few of them, but they all saw this time as an opportunity. They all saw this time as an opportunity to learn, to do things differently. Some created multiple pricing strategies. Some create, some used this time to change careers, like one woman. Uh, a very successful businesswoman had always wanted to be in venture capital. Because she had saved enough, she took this time off, and she volunteered. She, you know, interned in a venture capital uh, organization and became a very successful venture capitalist. Some, it, it just, there's, no matter how bad the economy, there will always be people prospering. And that's something that you say in your book. And that's something I have witnessed over and over and over again. And as every successful woman says to me, it's all attitude. It doesn't mean you ignore the economy. You look for the opportunities in the economy, the opportunities for you, your business, and your career to grow. Because as you said earlier, what you focus on expands. Under earners are looking at the problems and the fear. High earners are looking at the potential and the possibilities. So, so Barbara, I'm, one of the things is I'm very, I've become very conscious about energy and what comes at me and who I surround myself with. And one of the things is that I notice I have to stay away from, like for me, the news media because the news media just goes on and on about the jobless rate or, you know, a lot of bad things happening or like even the newspapers about how hard it is to prosper. And I find myself really try making conscious decisions to focus my energy in what I'm allowing coming into my space with more um, inspiring, but not inspiring, like inspirational, but with a, not just, I don't want to say. You're not going into denial. Yes. You're just not buying in. Yes. I just don't want to buy into that, you know, that, because I don't want to buy into that. Yes. And I think that's really good. I think that um, bad news sells. I'm old enough to have been through several recessions, and the stories are always the same, and the pictures are always the same. And the statistics are always the same. And I'm out there talking to people who are prospering. So what I do when I see those stories, like I was just reading the Wall Street Journal, the, co the cover of the Wall Street Journal talks about the same thing, you know, how bad things are, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like, yes, things are bad. Where are the opportunities? Where are the opportunities? And that's where my mind goes. So rather than avoid something for me, because what you resist persists, because to avoid means going out of fear, when you see it, ask, oh, there's an opportunity for me. There's an opportunity for me to grow. There's an opportunity for me to help people. There's an opportunity for me to really go to the next level with what's going on. The important thing in energetically is not, and, and I get in fear all the time, and so I have to work very hard. Thank you for that. Thank you for telling us that. Oh, yes, I get in fear all the time. So what I have to do is I have this, I have several tools I use, call them if you will. I'll call friends or colleagues who are upbeat. I'll journal about my fear. I'll, like, meditate and go into it and really feel it, and usually under the fear is really something calling out for attention. And then the thing that I found the most fear-proof uh, fear is when I really get back to my mission and my purpose, to why I am here. And when I can focus on I am here, because I consider my work very spiritually guided, and I am here to be a teacher and to be a leader and to empower. And so how can I use this time to do my work, to do God's mission? 
and so when you when you go to that space, does that help get rid of the fear? Oh yeah, eventually it always does. It always does. So, and I, I'm just I'm just I have consciously with the most wonderful people in my life. I mean, I just have the best people, the best friends, the best colleagues, the best people working for me. Kids, I just have really great people, and I think the community you have is critical. So people say, "Well, how do I find a community?" I went out and started taking classes and networking, and, and I'm not a networker. That that is not me. I'm a very shy person. I'm a real, I'm a real introvert. Although people would never know that. But I forced myself into places where I knew women of like mind and people of like mind would be. You found your group. I found my tribe. I have. I have. And I have to say that makes a huge difference. And I have... um, I have I, I am willing to reach out, which is very hard for me, and say, I am in the pits. You gotta help me here. And I created this group on Mondays, every Monday night. There's four of us, we have a mastermind group, and every Monday night we each get fifteen minutes to talk about what we need help with, what we need support with, what we want to create. That's been fabulous. And so when you talk about that, is there then there's feedback that comes from the other people. Yeah, and then you have people believing in you. And then it makes it real or it's concrete because yeah. it's out there. And just last night I had eight women over and we did our vision boards. We did our vision. You know, we tore the pictures out of magazine and words and we did our vision for 2009. I really think that we women being so relationship-oriented really thrive in supportive communities, much more so than men. Like when I told my boyfriend that I was having all these women over here doing our vision board, he said, really? Isn't that awfully personal? Men don't relate to each other for the most part like we mm-hmm. do. Well, I also don't think they have the... Um it's really into stereotyping, so I'm a little cautious, but that as much doubt, I mean, just working with kids, um, you know, like a little boy will see, you know, an action here and then he'll jump off the, his couch thing because he wants to learn how to fly. And in his brain, he has flown maybe for a split second or less than that, but he has flown. And this is, these are my experiences based with working with female male athletes. And then with women, it's more, oh, I failed. They look at that same situation. See, I didn't fly. I failed where a guy will be like, oh, I flew. It was short, but I flew. Right. That's good. That's good. So knowing that may be our inclination, Mm -hmm. we need to consciously find ways to counteract that, including self-talk and support. But the other thing, when I get into fear, is fear is not a bad thing. That's what I've learned from my interviews. That's probably the most profound thing for me personally that I've learned, that fear is not a bad thing. I always must look when I'm in fear, uh uh-oh, I'm going down the tube, it's all over. That fear just tells me that I'm walking outside my comfort zone, that I'm deviating from my norm, that I'm doing something different. In order to grow, I have to do something different. Mm -hmm. I have to. So the fear is just a sign that you're growing, that you're on your way to the next level. So I try to use that fear to say, whoa, goody, growing. Well, I mean, I guess like learning how to ride a bike as a kid, you know, there's fear. You might fall down or how how, how to do it and how to make it work. But when, as, that, as you go through that fear and you overcome and you learn how to ride a bike, you know, now you have transportation or you get to do something that's fun as a kid um, and that you overcome that fear. So now I'm, I'm starting to get tangible understanding about that fear. Um, well, Bar- go ahead, Barbara. But it is interesting that 
these past three, four months, all the talks I've done, the groups I've done, and the interviews with media I've done, it's all ended up focused on fear and discussions about fear. And I think because there's so much fear up. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really good thing. Because one of the things I've seen in my classes, one of the powerful things about doing these classes is when women see they're not alone. They see, oh, they're not the only one to feel this fear. They're not the only one to feel this. And to realize the fear is present, but it doesn't need to stop you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, it's wonderful we're having these conversations now. It's wonderful we're bringing them so in the open. It's very much needed. Because the more you put something on the table and shine light on it, the less powerful it is. The less of a hold it has on you. One, to realize you're not the only one, too, that may be going through this. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. I know when I, 20 years ago, when I was going through my stuff, I thought I was the only woman in the whole planet who was this stupid to get myself into this much of a mess. And I was so embarrassed, I never told anybody, talked to anybody about it, not even my therapist. And, um, and I see the relief that happens in every group I'm in when, when a woman says, oh my God, I'm not the only one to feel this way. There's just a huge sense of relief which gives her a huge sense of permission to be who she is and take it forward instead of letting it stop her. Well, Barbara, I really appreciate you coming back. Our time has flown once again too fast. Well, thank you. It has been a pleasure talking to you. It's and I really appreciate the sensitive subjects you're willing to address. Well, and the I, personal topics, and, and share yourself, too. So thank you. Well, thank you for that. This is Karen Modekaitis, and thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. We have had Barbara Stanny. She is the author of many books. The one that we discussed today was Overcoming Under Earning. You've been listening to 90, KDRT 95.7 FM.